You're listening to the Pursue God Men's Podcast, the official channel for biblical manhood at PursueGod.org. Find resources to talk about it with your family, men's group, or mentor at PursueGod.org forward slash men. Okay, John, today we're we're going to be finishing up our last breakthrough discipline. We've been going through this series, these spiritual disciplines that really lead to breakthrough in the lives of men and boys who are listening. And today's discipline, we saved it for the end, but it's probably the discipline that everybody expected us to lead off with. We're going to talk today about reading the Bible. And John, why didn't we kick kick this whole series off with this one? Well, I think we wanted to have guys maybe have their eyes open to some disciplines that aren't as common, that aren't as practiced, widely practiced by believers, particularly in our culture today. I do think reading your Bible is one of the first spiritual disciplines most believers probably think of. And and it's one of those that can be just really easy to kind of check the box. But hopefully what our listeners have discovered in this series is that it it isn't the discipline in and of, in, of itself that gives us this full and abundant life that Jesus promises. It's what the discipline actually does for us. All of these disciplines, at the end of the day, what they do is they help connect us to Jesus. In John 15, 5, Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. And so all of these disciplines, the goal of them is not the discipline in and of itself. The goal is, you know, men, let's stay connected to the vine. So prayer, fasting, the solitude, slowing, silence, spending time in God's word that we're going to look at today, all of those help us stay connected to Jesus. So we're going to talk today about five strategies for Bible for Bible study, for Bible reading. I, I know probably our listeners are thinking, well, this, this sounds like a pretty easy one. But actually, as we prepped this topic, John, there was a ton of stuff to cover. But I would say that all of it sort of falls under this category that is really well described in Romans 12 too. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. So so when I think about Bible study and these five strategies we're going to be talking about today, it's all about having this discipline in our lives that changes the way we think. It's, it's, it's uh, transformative in our mind the more that we're exposed to God's Word. Yeah, the version of that, Romans 12, too, that I grew up with, you know, old, old, time, old time John here was, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world. And the idea of that is that the world is, is constantly trying to mold you. The world is constantly putting pressure on you from all different sides to try to get you to think and act the way that it does. And if you're not intentional about counteracting that with God's truth, you will find yourself getting molded into the image of the world. That's just the default. That's what happens if you're not intentional about getting into God's word. Okay, so here's the first strategy. And this, John, probably is the only one that early Christians had in its hearing, hearing the word. Mostly we're going to talk about reading it for yourself. But this first strategy is really about reading it through somebody else, hearing the word of God. Now, remember, the early Christians didn't have Bibles like we have them today. In fact, for 1,500 years, Christians didn't have Bibles you know, before the printing press. It would be really rare for you to own a personal Bible. So when we think about Bible study, we all have access to it on our phones or grab a Bible off the shelf. But the early church, and really for hundreds of years— the church mainly had this first discipline about hearing the word. And the men who are listening are practicing it right now. 
<laughs> you know, right now you're you're hearing from us, you're hearing from Brian and I, but a lot of what you're going to be hearing throughout this podcast, as with all our podcasts, is the Word of God. We're going to use Scripture to back up, you know, our opinions and our thoughts on the different topics that we cover. So you're hearing God's Word through us, and it is a very biblical concept. Going to church, having a mentor listening to a podcast or a sermon online, those are all ways to let God's Word get into your life. And so the question you should be asking when you're doing this is, what can you learn about a passage from a godly pastor or a godly mentor in your life? And you mentioned, Brian, how fortunate we are to have the written Word so accessible. It wasn't like that for centuries. In Romans ten seventeen, Paul says that so faith comes from hearing that is hearing the good news about Christ. And so if we think about that in the context of the early church, you know, I, I don't think we realize just how blessed we are to have Bibles as individuals or have the Bible even on our phones. You know, To think that each of us can have access to a personal copy of the inspired Word of God would have been mind-blowing to the Christians in the early church. Because in, in the early church, only the very wealthy had you know scrolls and books. Very few people had scripture in their personal possession. You would mainly hear it in the synagogue. Uh, you'd hear it when they would come together in a house church. And, and most Christians would listen as someone else read from God's Word. So someone else is reading from the Old Testament, or someone else is reading one of, of the early epistles to the churches. And the majority of the people received God's word by hearing, not by reading. And really the same is true for sharing the gospel, right? The, the scarlet thread of the gospel is pulled through the Bible from the first book to the last book. And the, the gospel is an example of something that most of us heard before we read it. I remember I responded to the gospel when I was six years old. Um, I, I heard about it at church. I heard about it. I wasn't like studying the Bible for myself as a six-year-old. I heard the gospel and I remember my mom shared it and followed up with me and, and led me to faith in Christ. And, and so faith, like it says, faith comes from hearing and not just in the early church, but for so many people out there. So for men and boys listening who are really trying to be full circle followers of Jesus, you're trying to be obedient to God's word and be the kind of Christian that God wants us to be, which is someone who shares our faith. We don't just take it in, but we, we share it as well. Um, yeah, so so much of that is you're going to be the one speaking it, and somebody else is going to hear it and potentially respond to it. Or maybe you'll invite someone to church, and they'll get to hear your pastor articulate it. That, that might be the first exposure that they have. But eventually, and we're talking to you Christians, eventually it should go beyond just hearing it to the next thing on our list, John, and that's reading it. And we're talking about devotional reading. What does that mean? Well, reading the Word devotionally is reading for application. So I'm, I'm looking at the passage, I'm reading it, and I wonder, what does this passage mean for me? You know, what is God saying to me today? Because every passage that we look at in Scripture, there was an original audience, and we're going to get into that in, in just a little bit, but it's alive and active. Like, God is going to use His Word to speak to you today, to give you wisdom to to maybe give you correction. You know, we'll, we'll look at 2 Timothy 3.16 here in just a minute, but the Bible is so useful for our everyday lives. Yeah, let me read that. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture 
is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong. It teaches us to do what's right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So I see that twice, that it's useful. It's useful in our lives personally, but then God uses it also for people around us. He uses us. He uses scripture to change us so that we can we can share the gospel with the world. And so for I love this passage because it it to me it's like a very utilitarian passage. It's uh and for men, if for the guys listening, if you're anything like me and John, you you want to be useful. You don't want just like useless information like what I what I uh, majored in in college and in grad school as a math guy. And so much math was not useful. I used to teach math, John, and and students would say, when am I ever going to use this? And so people hated just abstract mathematics, even though that was my thing. And and that's not what the Word of God is. This is also one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture for some of the same reasons. I think men like things that are useful and helpful. But to know that the Bible is literally God-breathed, you know, that this uh, NLT version that we're reading from is it's inspired by God, but we know the original language literally means that it's, it's God-breathed. It makes the Bible unlike any other book in history. And so, man, I want you to think about this. It means that when we read the Bible, it's like sitting at God's feet and listening to Him. It's like, you know, sitting next to Him and having a conversation with Him, listening to Him tell you how much He loves you, listening to God tell you how He created the world, listening to God explain how He wants you to live and how He's going to come back again to make all things new. And I, I think if we looked at the Bible more like that, if that's really the image we put in our head of I get to sit down at the feet of the almighty God of the universe and he's going to talk to me, we'd read it more often. And it's no wonder that Christians in places like North Korea and China weep when they get their hands on a copy of the Bible. It's no wonder people risk their lives to get Bibles into countries that are closed you know, it's no wonder Christians who are in those persecuted countries would rather lose their life than lose God's written word because it's God-breathed. And yet, in many of our homes, it sits on a shelf somewhere collecting dust. It shouldn't be that way, guys. And I, you know, I don't want to harp on anyone, and I'm harping on myself as much as anybody. There are certainly seasons where I'm not in God's word as often as I should be. Um, but we, we need to take advantage of it. And when you read the word devotionally, we talked about it being useful. You're asking yourself, like, what does this passage mean for me today? How does it apply to the situation I'm facing? You know, how does it impact the way I love my wife or the way that I parent my kids? Does it address how I should spend my time today or how I should spend my money today? Those are all questions that I think should regularly run through our minds when we're reading devotionally. Yeah. So we're talking, John, we're talking about maybe some of our listeners read a daily devotional book. Um, and that's that counts. We're talking about that. Or maybe you're reading a chapter a day in your Bible, uh, or maybe you're trying to read through the entire Bible in a year devotionally, which I have been doing for the last few years. And again, that's devotional because I, you, then you're reading five or six chapters a day for the whole year. You, re- you really aren't digging in, taking a deep dive. It's probably hard for most of our listeners to do that if you're reading through the Bible in a year. So that would be devotional reading. You know, some people maybe are trying to read the Bible chronologically. There's 
there are one-year Bibles that are or, organized chronologically. So there's there's not one way, right, John? There's not one way to do this. There's a lot of different ways to read devotionally. But I, I think it'd be good for you to walk us through the four questions that you always like to ask when you read devotionally. Yeah, again, I want it to be I want it to be applicable. I mean, I, I do love to just sit and listen to God and and hear from him, but I, I certainly want to make sure I'm not missing an opportunity to apply it. So when I read devotionally, um, in fact, we just started a new reading plan for Advent this morning. And on the particular plan we're doing, it only had one verse of scripture, which means I didn't pick a very good plan. <laughs> but I thought, man, I, so I anyway, I ended up reading the chapter before that that verse is in, the, the chapter of and the chapter after. But but I literally knew we we're going to be recording today. And so I thought, oh, this will be a great, this will be a great way to to even think about how I apply this. But anyway, the first question I like to ask is, does this passage tell me anything about God's character? Do I learn something about the nature of God as I'm reading this? And so today we were reading in Romans, and one of the things that that the passage I read just reminded me of is God's unchanging character, that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And And the passage was about the hope that we have in that. And Man, I just thought what a blessing it is that we don't hope in circumstances. We don't hope in things that change. We hope in the nature of God, His unchanging nature. Uh, The second question I like to ask myself is, do I learn something about my character as I read this passage? I'll never forget the first time I really paid attention to Jeremiah 17, 9. It says, the heart is above all else deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I can honestly say, Brian, I've never looked at my feelings or their trustworthiness the same way because of that verse. Now, I still get you know trapped into trusting my feelings sometimes. I'm not, I'm not going to pretend I have complete victory over that, but but I don't look at my feelings as trustworthy anymore. Like I recognize my heart is it's deceitful. God's word tells me there's something wrong with my heart, and that without Jesus, my heart is desperately wicked. Then the third question I like to ask is, is there a command I need to obey in this passage? And we don't, we don't like that sometimes, but I mean, again, God's word is useful. It corrects me and it equips me for every good work. So is there a command I need to obey? And then lastly, is there a promise I can claim in this passage? And there are so many wonderful promises that we can hold on to in the Bible. There are a lot of promises that people will tell you that are made to us in the Bible that aren't. I just want to warn our listeners of that. If if you're not careful about who you're listening to, people are going to make claims about promises they say God has made in the Bible that he didn't make. And the only way you're going to know which is which is if you spend time in the Word, reading God's Word and finding out which promises are really in there and which ones are not. Okay, so John, we've talked about hearing the Word. We've talked about reading the Word. And the third one is called studying the Word. So what's the difference between reading devotionally, and Bible study? Well, devotionally really is primarily concerned with what what does God want to say to you right now? What does this passage mean to you? But studying the Word is where we really try to get it, give it more context. So we're, we're reading for interpretation. So we don't just look at what it means to me when we're studying. We want to know what did it mean to the original audience? What, what was going on in the background when the author wrote this? Who is the author? You know, who is the author and, and what's the purpose of them writing this? How does this fit into the greater story of Jesus? 
it's so cool to me that when I read the Old Testament now, I have this, maybe you'd call it a filter where I'm, I'm often looking for uh, Christophanies, you know, these foreshadowings of Jesus or a typology that 25 years ago, I, I never read it like that. I just read the Old Testament. But I, I've come to this understanding now that all of Scripture is about Jesus. And so that's one of the ways that when I'm really studying the Old Testament, I'm really looking for, is there foreshadowing in here about the Messiah? Or, or is there even just a specific prophecy about the Messiah in this particular passage? Acts 17.11 is a great example for us. It says, the people of Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica, and they listened eagerly to Paul's message. They searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. I, I love that example, John, because this is this is a good example for us even today, that when we're at church listening to a sermon or listening to podcasts or watching something on YouTube, we should always be searching the scripture to make sure that whatever someone is saying to us is truthful. So the Bereans were examples of people who knew how to do Bible study really well. Yeah, and I think this discipline, Brian, is one that often is good if you do it in a small group. You know, some of these are are these are all individual, you know, specific or individual spiritual disciplines. But I think this is one where it can really be helpful to have a handful of men with you or or a co-ed group that as you're looking at the passage and as you're really studying it, you're going to have some other perspectives that come in, and those other perspectives can help you sharpen your own perspective, or they might shed light on something culturally that you didn't know, you know, you didn't recognize. So I would encourage you, man, as you're studying God's Word to to do it along with another brother, you know, maybe do it with your mentor, do it in your small group. And I think this is an area where it'd be helpful to invest in some good, solid Bible commentaries for this kind of reading. Now, we don't want to ever make the commentary you know, more important than just reading God's Word in and of itself, because God's Word in and of itself is alive and active. There's no promise about commentaries that they're alive and active, right? So, so I, wouldn't, I wouldn't get too heavy on the commentary in the sense where you make it more important than God's Word, but... There are great godly professors and experts who have spent much more time studying God's Word and studying the culture, studying the original languages than you and I have. Now, I'm not saying that makes them smarter than you, but it just means they've spent more time. And think back to our first, our first discipline was hearing, right? Well, in the same way, commentaries are like hearing from someone else, hearing from someone else break down the passage and give you some of that cultural context that maybe you didn't know. And this is really helpful when we're asking, like, how would the original audience have received this? Yeah, people ask me all the time, okay, what commentaries do you use when you prep sermons or when you do Bible study? So let's pause for a second and let's give a list. I'll give a few of mine. John, you could add some of yours if you want. And I'll put we'll put links to all of this down below in the show notes. But uh, if you want like a simple one volume commentary, the New Bible Commentary is a great one. Um, if you want something just a little bit bigger, I think this is a two a two volume commentary. Commentary, the Expositor's Bible Commentary, that's another good one. One that I've run across recently that I absolutely love, John, is called the Pillar New Testament Commentary. So this is a multi volume commentary. You know, I always like to tell, especially new, newcomers to the faith or people who are new to Bible study, 
there you could get a i mean if you you can you can get as big of a commentary as you want right and so like a a study bible is maybe the simplest way to have some commentary is a study bible with commentary integrated but that's obviously not going to be a ton so then if you add the new bible commentary or the expositors or the pillar the pillar is like a multi-volume set just in the new testament and they go to, into great depth in that commentary. Like I said, it's probably my favorite commentary right now. I, it's a newer one. It's a little more pricey, but man, it's it's so valuable. It's so worth worthful, worthwhile. And what I like to do is, I buy all of these through the Olive Tree Bible app. John, I don't know what you use, but I've been using this app for ten plus years. It's the app is free, but then within the app, you can purchase commentaries within the app and. Uh, and so then you could read the Bible, you can have the commentary side by side in the app. It's really good. You can annotate stuff, you can mark stuff up, you can get it on your iPad, on your phone, on your on your laptop. So that's the that's what I use for my Bible study, and it's been really enriching in my life. John, I don't know if you would add anything to that list. Uh, well, I appreciate that you brought up just a good study Bible, because for me, that was my f- first commentary for years. And, you know, I just, I had a pretty hefty study Bible and it was always great just to glance down from the the passage into the notes at the bottom and, and get some of that cultural context. I use new Bible commentary a lot as well. Um, the only one I would add to it. And the reason I like it is it's, it's written from a kind of a pastor's perspective. So it's got a, a, a lot of little nuggets in it that, that preach well. And that's one called the enduring word commentary. So I use that quite a bit. And then I, I would just encourage guys, in addition to, you know, to the commentaries, there there are a lot of just free tools online where you can read the passage side by side in the original Greek or Hebrew language and the English translation. Um, so I'll do that a lot. Um, Bible Gateway has that for both the Old and New Testament, where you can you can see the original, you know, Greek lexicon or the Hebrew lexicon, and and then. From there, you know, you can you can dive into the concordance and and go a hundred different directions with it. But I find that find that very helpful. You know, I mentioned John fifteen five earlier in our podcast where Jesus says, "I am the vine, and you are the branches. If a man remains in me, and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing." And I remember looking at the the Greek lexicon for that several years ago, and I saw that the original word that's translated "remain." can also mean to tarry with. And we don't, that's not a word we use a lot in our common mm-hmm. culture, but all of a sudden that verse had an even deeper meaning to me. Like, did I want to tarry with Jesus? Did I want time to slow down when I was hanging out with Jesus? And I remember, you know, just these thoughts of when you're first dating your spouse, and it always took you know, like an hour just to say goodnight. And I'm, I'm not just talking about the goodnight kiss. I mean, literally, you know, you just, you just wanted five more minutes in their presence before you left. It was hard to say goodnight. I remember asking Jesus, like, I want you to give me that same kind of desire for you. I, I, want, I want to want to tarry with you. I want time to slow down when I'm in the word. I want time to slow down when I'm praying with you. I, I just want that to happen. I want that same feeling. And that deeper understanding of that verse, you know, wouldn't have happened if I hadn't taken some time to look at the lexicon behind those original words. Okay, so we've talked about hearing the word, we've talked about reading the word devotionally, we talked about studying the word, digging in, getting deeper into it. And the fourth discipline 
or I guess we could say this is like a sub-discipline, uh, this is all underneath the discipline of Bible study or Bible reading, is memorizing the Word. So, so John, how do you do Bible scripture memorization? How long have you done it? What tips can you share for our listeners? Well, I've done it for a long time, but you know, full disclosure, guys, I have peaks and valleys in my scripture memorization. I have seasons in my life where, you know, I'm, I'm pretty consistent with it. I'm trying to commit at least a verse or two to memory every week. And, I, and I'll have a good season of that. And then I'll fall off of it. You know, I just, and I'll, I'll go weeks or even a couple months without really committing new scripture to memory. And then I'll kind of get back on the horse and do it again. And, and it's amazing to me how quickly the references in particular I lose when I'm not intentional about it. You know, much of the much of the verses themselves, because I've repetitively, you know, memorized them and and said them over and over, I I don't tend to lose that as fast, but losing the reference happens pretty quickly. And so I have index cards. So where where I typically read my Bible in the morning, I've got just a stack of three by five index cards and each one has a verse on it. And, you know, I'm usually going to take at least two or three days out of the week when I'm doing my, my devotional time, a portion of that's going to be reviewing those index cards. And then, you know, hopefully, like I said, when I'm in one of those peaks, a portion of that is going to be committing new verses to memory. So when I commit a new verse to memory, I just, the first two or three days I'm trying to memorize it, I just read it over and over. You know, I'll, I'll read it five times in a row, bang. Then the next day I'll read it five times in a row, bang. Then by the third day, I'm, I'm trying to say it without reading it. You know, I'm trying to do it in my head without, and then I'll glance at it to see if I'm getting it right or not. So that, I, I don't know that guys, there's any one perfect way to do it, but, but however you choose to, I just know you're going to have to be intentional about it. And, and I think, yeah, I can hear some guys pushing back and saying, well, why does this matter, right? I mean, we've got, our, we've got the Bible on our phone, John. Why do I need to memorize it? I, I always have access to mm. it. Well, th there's a lot in Scripture that talks about hiding God's Word in our heart. It doesn't say to hide God's Word on your phone. <laughs> it doesn't say to mm. hide God's Word in your bookshelf. No, it says hide God's Word in your heart. So I think there is much benefit to memorizing Scripture. Yeah, Psalm 119.11, I have hidden your Word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So again, if we want to get practical with guys listening, the the reason isn't just to you know win a, a Bible drill at church. <laughs> the reason is so that so that you're ready in those moments when you're tempted that God's word protects you because you're you have it on the ready in your mind, right? Absolutely. Well, let me just maybe give guys some very very practical ways that that I apply this in my life. Some I call these some of my go-to verses, and these are verses that that I've memorized over the years. And and again, I may miss the reference from time to time, but I I know these verses. I know that I can use them. So, you know, when I'm traveling, I don't travel very much anymore. Uh, but I used to travel a ton for work uh, before I went into ministry, and and. You know, guys, we know what it's like sitting in that hotel room alone at night and having access to the television and, you know, wanting to click on something you shouldn't click on. And so 1 Corinthians 6, 18, flee sexual immorality, flee it, don't fight it. You know, don't see how close to the line you can get without going over, run away. Um, that's a verse that I would go to. Uh, or if you're in a season of life where it just seems you're struggling with worry and anxiety, 
Philippians 4, 6, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation with prayer and thanksgiving, present your request to God. And of course, and if we go on, we know that that's the verse that promises that peace that passes understanding. Um, a verse that I use a lot as a pastor when I'm praying with people, when they're going through it and they're in the middle of something that they just, they don't understand why it's happening is Romans eight twenty eight. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. So being able to recall that verse in the moment has helped me many times in my life when things seem hard. And I think I've been able to speak encouragement to others. You know, when you're stuck behind that guy in the fast lane who doesn't understand the concept of keep right except to pass, Luke 23, 34, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. <laughs> I recite that one all the time. <laughs> yeah, I need to use that one on the road more often as well. And, you know, John, I think about this, that Jesus, I think, would you say that this is accurate, that Jesus memorized scripture? Because I think back to, you know, the the temptation in, in the wilderness and every time Satan came at him with a with a temptation, Jesus came back at Satan with a scripture verse, of course, from the Old Testament. But I guess I, I never really thought about that in terms of memorization. You know, Jesus was fully God and fully man. So it, he wasn't tapping into his divinity, his like omniscience to do this. I think he I think he was in his humanity, he was modeling for us probably memorization. Well, again, you know, Jesus had access, you know. A little bit to the written word. Well, Jesus spoke the word. I mean, originally, <laughs> all scriptures God breathed, as we said before. But yeah, in his humanity, Jesus wasn't able to carry around the Old Testament with him everywhere he went. So much of it was was memorized um, because he had a hunger for the scriptures. He had a, a hunger for God's word. Uh, and yeah, we see that in the story of where he was right after his baptism, where he's tempted. Every time the devil tried to tempt Jesus, he answers with scripture. I mean, if that's what if that's what Jesus did, how much more should that be an example for us? You know, he goes out, he's tempted for 40 days. And I find it interesting too that that the devil used scripture. You know, that in the last temptation, the devil tried to twist scripture. He tried to distort it and he tried to use that to, to tempt Jesus. So I think that's why the disciplines of studying and reading devotion that we looked at earlier are important because, guys, the devil will even try to use twisted scripture to tempt and trick you. I mean, maybe there's been another time in history where that's more prevalent than now. I haven't, obviously, I haven't been alive that long, but to me, this is exactly what's happening today in our culture, that there are people who are using scripture and twisting it to promote all kinds of evil and all kinds of sin. So many of the issues that we're facing today, um, you know, the LGBTQ movement, um, abortion, people are using scripture. It's amazing to me, but they're mm -hmm. using scripture and twisting it to support those agendas. Mm. Okay. So we've got one left here, John. We, we've talked about hearing, reading, Studying, memorizing, and this last one, maybe at first some of our listeners might be confused that this would make our list, but because the last discipline related to Bible study is meditating, and uh, I think meditation is one of those words that has been sort of taken over by maybe like uh, New Age people or transcendentalists or something like that. What do we mean by meditating on the Word, and is this really a biblical thing? Is this something Christians should do? Yeah, absolutely, and it's almost the polar opposite of what 
what most people think of when they think of meditation. When you think of meditation, a lot of our listeners probably think of emptying your mind. You know, you'll hear that empty your mind, free your mind. No, meditation is actually filling your mind. It's filling your mind with the Word of God when we, when we really meditate on God's Word. Will you allow the author to do his work within you? Will you allow God's Word to be transformational, not just informational? You know, we're going to read the verse in Hebrews in just a moment about God's Word being alive and active. It, it wants to do something in your life. It's not just for us to read and kind of say, oh, that, you know, that was good information. I'm glad I put that away. And yeah, it's absolutely biblical, Brian. I mean, Psalm 1, 1 through 3 says, all the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Now think about the imagery in that in that passage, in those few verses, he doesn't say, oh, the drudgery of those who not follow the advice of the wicked. No, he says, oh, the joy, oh, the joy of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners. You, do you want a life that's joyful? Then delight in the law of the Lord. I know that seems counterintuitive to some people. I know culture would say, oh man, what a, what a boring life. What a, uh, what a captive life you you have to live if you're trying to follow what God's word says. No, the, that's a life that's joyful. It's a life that's joyful as you delight in the law of the Lord and you meditate on it. It says you're going to be like a tree planted along the riverbank. Now, again, this is where this is where studying the Bible means something. What what would that mean in that culture? I mean, in a culture where it's a lot of desert land, if you have a tree that's along the riverbank. That tree is going to provide shade in the heat of the day. It's going to provide fruit. You're, you're going to be a refuge for others. You're going to have roots that grow strong and that grow deep. Men, our wives and our children, our communities need men like this. We need men that are like trees planted along the riverbank because we've got a lot of men in our culture that, that that doesn't describe them. Let's finish with one more passage here. You already referenced it, John, but it's Hebrews 4 verse 12. It says, for the word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Well, I think this verse is so encouraging on one hand, <laughs> but I think it's also the answer to why the Bible is hard to read sometimes. It's hard to read because it exposes things in our heart. You know, we've got those thoughts and desires that we we stuff down and we can kind of ignore them in the busyness of the day, or maybe we can even justify them. But when we slow down and we get in God's word and we meditate on it, it exposes those. And so there they are staring us in the face. And when you meditate on God's word, he begins to do his work in you. And it's like a surgeon's knife. I mean, this talks about cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It's like a surgeon's knife. He's doing work on you. You know, when you go into the hospital for a surgery, you're not going in there because everything is great. You're going in there because you need help. You need something fixed. And I think when we meditate on God's word, it's very similar. You know, there's a lot of places in scripture where God's word is likened to a sword, but that's a good thing. You know, let him operate on you. Let him do the work that only he can do. John, I want to finish this episode with a statement that's probably worth memorizing. I don't know, maybe men have heard this before, but when I first heard this, I thought, oh, that's so good. I'm going to make the statement, and I want you to respond to it, explain it for our guys. The goal with this discipline 
with scripture reading. The goal isn't to get through the scriptures. The goal is to get the scriptures through us. What does that mean? Well, it means that when we let God's word work through us, it's going to change the way we think. So go back to what we let off with, the Romans 12 passage. We need to change the way we think. If we don't want to be conformed to the image of this world, we need to change the way we think. And when we change the way we think, this is what happens, Brian, and I I know you've seen it in your life, I've seen it in my life, but when I change the way I think, it doesn't just stop there. When I change the way I think, it naturally will lead to breakthroughs in the way that I act and the way that I speak as well. So that's my encouragement to the men listening today. Let God's word work through you. It's going to be painful sometimes. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. But let God's word work through you because it'll change the way you think. And that's going to lead to changing the way you live. Well, this was the last lesson in our Breakthrough Discipline series. So guys, men, if you want to go through, if you haven't yet gone through this, maybe you've just been listening to the podcast, but you haven't gone through the series with a small group, with a mentor one-on-one, or maybe even just with your son. Guys, maybe you have a junior high son or a high school son or even a college age son, and your job is to disciple your kids This is a great series to go through even with your son. So check it all out. There's discussion questions. There's links. There's all kinds of stuff to go along with these podcasts. There's even a little short video, summary video, and you can find it online, pursuegod.org forward slash breakthrough. Hey, listeners, this is Brian Dwyer reminding you to rate this show on your favorite podcast app. That really does help us. When you do that, that way more people can discover this podcast and start listening. And also, don't forget to share the podcast with a friend.